Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor, and I too would like to welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad that you joined us this morning. And as most of you will, will probably already be aware of this, but for the past, well, more than a dozen years, probably more like 14 or 15 years now, uh, much of the talk in the publishing world, which has also had a, a huge in- impact on the world of film, is Harry Potter. In fact, tomorrow night, if you are out interacting uh, with your neighbors, I guarantee you will probably see at least one kid dressed as a Harry Potter character. Now, the books in, in the Harry Potter series have become some of the most widely read uh, works of children's literature in history. As of this past June, the series had sold about 450 million copies, been translated into 67 languages, with the last four books in the series consecutively setting records as the fastest-selling books of all time. Any Harry Potter fans here? Okay, wow, already saw the the show of hands. We're a little charismatic today, hands up. Um, Well, I guarantee those of you that have read a Harry Potter book, and you can correct me after the service if I'm wrong, But I guarantee there is not one Harry Potter fan that has picked up one of those books and read every single chapter except for the last one. You read all the way through, you got to the final chapter, and you closed the book and said, I'm done. No. You started reading, and as you went on, you got all the way to the very end, the very last chapter. Now, why do I bring that up? I bring that up because it it, it occurred to me that often within the church, we will take a book of the Bible and we won't really pay much attention to the last chapter, Uh, especially if it's an epistle, a a letter of of Paul's. You know, he begins, dear so-and-so, and he ends with, sincerely love Paul. We want what's in the middle. We want the good theological meat, so, so we don't really pay attention to how it ends those final few verses. Well, today we come to the last chapter because today we finish Romans. Okay, now see some looks out there as I didn't even realize we were in a sermon series on Romans. And you would be right, we have not been. Uh, But today is actually the beginning of a two-part series in Romans. And what better place to be than Romans uh, as we remember uh, the Reformation and give thanks to God for his continuing uh, to show us his gospel of grace. And in many ways, there's no more important place in Romans than the last chapter. Why? What do I mean by that? Well, the end of Romans is important because Paul concludes his letter to the church at Rome in a profound way. He ends with a declaration of praise. The end of Romans 16, uh, and if you're using the Pew Bible, we're going to be beginning on page 951. But the end of Romans 16 is a doxology. A doxology being an expression of praise to God. Uh, We just sang a doxology. And why is this important? Well, because, because for all of its theological meat, Paul doesn't view good doctrine as an end in itself. Very important, essential, and yes, we should feed on good doctrine, but it is not an end in itself. Rather, 
The end of doctrine is praise of God. Praise of God with our lips and with our lives. In other words, all theology should lead to doxology. The gospel leads to worship. And so what we're going to do is we're going to briefly touch on Paul's doxology, his expression of praise. And, and I think what you'll notice, just as we, as we read this doxology in a moment, is th- this ends very unlike probably the letters that, that you and I would write. Because Paul has just ended his great theological statement of faith, so overwhelmed by the goodness of God's grace, that he just begins piling praise upon praise upon praise. And, and in fact, the grammar is really difficult to follow because Paul is just all over the place in praise and thanksgiving to God. And so we're going to use these few verses at the end of Romans to then springboard back in to earlier portions of Paul's letter to consider why. Why is Paul praising God? And put simply, he's praising God because of the gospel of grace, the very heart of Romans. As Amy Semper stated last week regarding the gospel of grace, some things are worth celebrating. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray and ask God to to open us to his word. Our good and gracious God, we thank you uh, that you have been faithful to your people for all time in all places, and that you are faithful to us today, continuing to open us to the gospel of your your grace, continuing to convince us of your grace. And we pray that you would continue that work this morning. Um, We we cannot do this in and of ourselves. We know that we we need you to do a work. I think even of those folks praying right now, Uh, as Daniel pointed out, in praying that your word would take deep root in our hearts. So, Lord, would would you do what only you can do? By the power of your spirit, would you open your word to us and us to your word, that we might be changed and that we might believe. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Again, the end... Of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Hear the word of God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, Paul gets to the end of his letter. And here we hear the word of God given for our good and for his glory. And Paul is so caught up in it that he just overflows with praise. Praising God for the beauty of the gospel. And what gospel is that? The gospel stated clearly here. The gospel of Jesus Christ in Christ alone. The mystery of old. Abraham knew of it. David knew of it. But what would his name be? The chosen one. The rescuer. 
revealed to us in the person whose name we know, Jesus. Revealed to us in Jesus and revealed how? Through God's word. The prophetic writings by the power of God's spirit. Speaking to those who wrote, speaking to us, opening up the Old Testament where every story whispers his name. The New Testament making clear And why? All of this at the command of God, but why? Well, here we see, so that all nations might be brought to the obedience of faith. And we'll touch on that phrase a bit more next week, the obedience of faith. But think of it this way, so that all peoples, including us, might know the gospel of grace. So how has the gospel impacted your life recently? How is the gospel impacting your life this week, today? Well, that's what we're going to talk a little little bit about this morning. We're going to review the gospel in Romans, and we're going to do so by considering uh, three key theological terms. Now, for, for some of you, these terms will be very familiar. For others, maybe not so much, but that's okay because we're going to look at each of them. Three gospel themes, justification, adoption, and sanctification. Central to the gospel of grace. And these are, are part of what theologians call the ordu salutis, or, or the order of salvation. Uh, much of which is based on Romans in general, uh, and much of which is based on Romans 8 in particular. Justification, adoption, sanctification. So the gist is this, justification. Forgiven of sin and accepted by God. Adoption. Brought into God's family as his beloved child. And sanctification. Increasingly made to be like Jesus. Increasingly made to be like Jesus and headed somewhere. Ultimately headed to wholeness and glory. And so today we're going to look at the first two gospel themes. Justification and adoption. And then next week we'll look at the third one. We'll look at sanctification. Now I will point this out throughout the sermon, but before we go any further, I do need to remind us that there is bad news before there is good news. As Romans says, all have sinned. All. And the wages of sin is death. That there is no one righteous, not even one. In fact, no one in and of himself even seeks after God. Romans 1 to 3 clearly point to the fact that as, as Eugene Peterson says, we are all in the same sinking boat. Okay, we are all on the Titanic. We can be on top, the top deck denying that something radically bad has happened underneath. But as everyone found out on the Titanic, the boat was sinking. And we are all in the same sinking but we have all run from God we have all rebelled we are all in need of rescue and of course that brings us to the good news to salvation to the death and resurrection of Jesus to the cross of Christ to the spirit of Christ to justification adoption and sanctification so again this morning we'll look at justification and adoption And so let's consider justification for a few moments. Again, the basic gist, uh, forgiven of sin and accepted by God. 
Uh, Romans uh, 3 and 4 speak very clearly uh, to justification. And let me read just an excerpt from chapter 3. If you want to turn, you can, or you can just listen. That's fine, too. Uh, chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith In Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And then, of course, you've already heard the great statement and our assurance of pardon this morning. Uh, Romans 8.1, that if you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation against you, period. Uh, our, Our church's statement of faith summarizes it this way. Justification is the act. It's an event. The act of God's free grace by which He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. He does so only because He counts the righteousness of Christ as ours. Justification is received by faith alone. Now maybe some of you uh, grew up uh, in Sunday school, maybe you even learned justification, and maybe you learned it this, this way, justification, just as if I never sinned. Because that is how you are viewed. No record against you. Accepted is righteous based on Christ's righteousness. In receiving this gift by faith. Faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Nothing to add. No more to do. And forgiven in Christ now free from the bondage of sin and death. Well, as I was uh, looking at justification, I was reminded of a time when it was illustrated very powerfully and personally for me. It was August of uh, 1998, and I, uh, I, was, I was serving as a, as a campus minister uh, with InterVarsity down at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. I have some Chapel Hill folks with us today. Welcome. Uh, but I, re- I, I was late to a campus event. Okay, 5 o'clock Friday afternoon was the campus event. And I was running late, and so I thought I'd go for the closest parking lot possible. Problem is, I didn't have a permit, and the parking lot didn't open to the general public until 5. But it was 4.50. I mean, I could just slide on in there, 4.50, make it to my campus event, and I'd be fine. Until I came back, and my car had one of these on it. Notice of traffic violation, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. A traffic ticket, August 17th, 1998. I slid in at 4.50 to park my car. Time stamp, 4.52. Hmm. So, I was guilty. What else was I going to do? It says on here I had 10 days to pay it or else. I don't know what the or else was, but... So within the next week, I went down uh, to the university police department. I walked in and I saw the uh, the desk where I was to pay uh, for my my, my parking ticket. I walked up and 
I put this on the desk in front of the officer, and I began to pull out my checkbook. And she looked at me, and she said, well, young man, would you, wouldn't you like to appeal your parking ticket? And I said, why would I appeal this? I'm, I'm guilty. I, I have nothing on which to stand. Young man, are you going to argue with me? <laughs> if you go to the desk down there and speak to that officer, you can make an appeal. But I was confused. What was I going to do? Lie? This is not true. I thought, but, but ma'am, she said, appeal. Okay? So I walked down to the next desk. There was an officer sitting on the other side, and I said, ma'am, I'm here to appeal my traffic ticket, my, uh, my parking ticket, but I don't know on what basis to do that. <laughs> All I know is the lady down there sent me to you. And she looked at it, and she looked at me, and she looked back down at it. She didn't say a thing. She took a deep breath, and she circled, no charge. She handed it to me and said, consider yourself pardoned. And I thought, man, one day I'm going to have a good sermon illustration. <laughs> but seriously, think about it for a moment. If you were to go down to the university police in Chapel Hill, and my name were to be pulled up on their computer system, under parking violations, it would say, no record. No record against me. Had I done wrong? Had I been guilty? Yes. But I had been pardoned by, by an act of grace and mercy that did, it made no sense to me. But nonetheless, I was pardoned, and there is no record on their computer system to this day. And my friends, that is how it is in Christ with our sin. All of our shortcomings, all of our rebellion in Christ, the computer system of heaven says no record against you. The good news of justification. Now that's something worth celebrating. The problem is I have trouble living in this gospel reality. There are a lot of ways that I could explain to you how I see that in my life. I'm only going to share one right now. But I realize in my struggle to forgive others how little I understand the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. In fact, I was talking to an older Christian brother of mine recently, and he said very lovingly, Camper, you hold on to some things too tightly. You need to forgive. You need to let go. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven you. And you are not convinced of all the goodness of God's grace that you have in Christ. Now what about you? Do you struggle to extend forgiveness? Do you struggle to receive the forgiveness that is yours in Jesus? Paid in full, not guilty, no record. Maybe you're burdened by guilt from past or present sin. Maybe your heart is, is hard and, and full of bitterness. God knows that we struggle, and that's why He's given us His Holy Spirit 
Because in justification, we find assurance of forgiveness in right standing before God. And we need to ask that by His Holy Spirit, He would continue to convince our hearts of this gospel reality. That there is no more condemnation. That there is nothing to add, nothing more to be done. My standing with God is right. I am okay. Well, let's move from justification to adoption. Because the good news just keeps getting better. And the basic gist is this, brought into God's family as God's beloved child. And uh, much of Romans uh, chapters 5, 9 through 11, Romans 8, speak to adoption. I've mentioned the Holy Spirit already, we'll hear of Him again. Uh, One of my favorite passages in Romans 8 on adoption. Romans 8 verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Children of God. Again, referring to our statement of faith. Adoption is the act of God's free grace by which we become His sons with all the rights and privileges of being His. We become His sons and daughters. We are His children. Joined to Him. Now, think about that traffic officer again for just a moment. She didn't care about me personally. I'm not saying she wasn't caring, because I greatly appreciated her caring act, but she didn't care about me personally. And what I mean by that is she pardoned me, but she didn't get up and come around the desk and put her arm around me and say, son, you're coming home with me. Now, that might have freaked me out, too. But the point is this, I don't have an ongoing relationship with her. I was pardoned, I was pardoned, but, but I don't remember who she is. She doesn't remember who I am. But adoption is different. Because we are adopted into the family of God, being embraced by Him and brought into His family as beloved children. Joined to Christ through faith, we are now free as a child of God to enjoy a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. To enjoy a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, does this discount His holiness? No, it highlights His passion. That He would come after us, that He would make a way that we could be joined to Him, that we could enjoy Him. You see, what I'm talking about here is we are not merely tolerated. I don't know, that traffic officer that day might have tolerated me. I don't know if it was an act of love or just tolerating me, time to move on, I've got enough paperwork to deal with already. I don't know. But with God, it is never about tolerating me, it is about loving me. When you are adopted into God's family, it is because He loves you. And this is not about sentimentality. Again, this is about the passion of our God for us. Now, I think back to those those days again um, 
the, the, the years that I was, was living in North Carolina. And there was a, I had an older friend at the time. His, uh, his name is Ty. Uh, not my son, Ty, but who, the, the one that my son is named after. Uh, Ty is about 20 years older than I am. Uh, he's been walking with Jesus a lot longer and, and in fact, is uh, also in ministry. And so I, I asked him, uh, would he shepherd my soul for the, a few years? Uh, and he immediately saw in me that I had this intellectual understanding of being forgiven, but that I really struggled to believe that God really loved me. Uh, he began to see that I really viewed it as God's tolerating me. The father had this deal with his son. His son died for me. Now I've got to put up with Camper. I've got to tolerate him. And, and Ty was saying, no. No, at the heart of the gospel is coming into the family of God. And, and so he would, through, through prayer and, and God's word, would continually speak into my heart about the love of God for me. And I remember one time Ty was illustrating this. And he has uh, three children, three sons. Uh, they're all in college or out of college now. But at the time, uh, uh, young boys and uh, the littlest boy, Davis, he said, you know, one of my favorite things is a dad. Right now is when we're together as a family, uh, we're, we're in the den, we're in the family room. And, and I'm just sitting in dad's chair. And I'm, I'm watching my boys play together or maybe watch a, a, a television program. But right now, and this had happened with his, his uh, older two boys, but he said, right now, Davis is at the point where he'll just, he'll just wander over to me. Maybe he's not paying attention to me, but he'll just wander over and he'll, he'll crawl up in my lap and just sit there. He may still be watching TV or, or playing with his brothers. But he said, the joy that gives me as a father, because I know at this moment my son realizes that I am a safe place. My son knows that as he sits in my lap, he is resting in the love of a father who would give anything and everything for him. That his father takes great delight in him. And he said, Camper, that is how your heavenly father is toward you. Zephaniah 3.17 He delights in us, sings over us with joy. Derek Moore Crispin writes this. The mere servant, with hat in hand, stands at a respectful distance awaiting the orders of his master. But the child of God rushes into the presence of his father, leaps into his lap, and nestles in his bosom. And that is the joy of belonging, of being in a family. That is the good news of adoption. Uh, J.I. Packer refers to adoption as the crown jewel of the gospel. The crown jewel of the gospel. We dare not talk about justification without talking about adoption. Because of the beauty of all that God has given us. The good news of adoption, again, that's something worth celebrating. But just as I've, I've already shared, uh, I too have struggled, I struggle believing in this gospel reality. I wish I could say I had gotten over that those years ago uh, with, with Ty walking alongside me, but I still struggle with it. Sometimes living my life as if God is far off, as if he is distant, as if, as if I'm an orphan, 
rather than as a son. What about you? Do you struggle believing that God is distant? Or if you dig down deep and you're honest with yourself that he merely tolerates you? Do you feel alone, abandoned, forsaken, or simply that you just don't fit in? And some of you may even cringe when hearing the word father. Because your earthly father has been distant, absent, or maybe worse, harsh and abusive. I appreciate uh, Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, when he addresses uh, the difficulty that it is uh, to be broken people in a broken world with flawed fathers and trying to gain a picture of the goodness and glory of our Heavenly Father. And he, he writes, The fact that we know our Father is flawed, our earthly Father is flawed, means that we know what a, God, a good Father should be like. And as we look to Jesus, we begin to see that our Heavenly Father trumps the failures of any earthly father. That as we look to Jesus, we begin to see where true fatherhood is defined. As a father myself, I am so grateful for that. Otherwise, I would be paralyzed by the mistakes I have already made in the lives of my children. But I can point them to Jesus to meet the Father who defines all fatherhood, rather than letting flawed fatherhood define heavenly fatherhood. Because you see, in adoption, we are given the gift of belonging, finding our identity as God's beloved children. And here, too, we must ask the Holy Spirit to convince us of this gospel reality. Because our hearts really do struggle to believe it. But it really is true. Justification, adoption, next week, sanctification. The gospel of grace, gospel realities that are yours in Christ. By grace, through faith, we are forgiven of sin and accepted by God. By grace, through faith, we have been brought into God's family as God's beloved children. As Alan already alluded to and as one theologian states, when we begin to glimpse the reality of God and His gospel, the natural reaction is to worship Him. In other words, the end of doctrine is praise of God. All good theology should lead to thankful doxology. And so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged by the gospel. And let us encourage one another with the gospel that we would continually join in with Paul and his celebration of grace. And now with Paul, let's do just that. Hear these words. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen. Well, a proper response to God's gospel of grace, one of many, is to stand and sing together. And so I invite you to stand as we celebrate His grace. Please turn to number 204, Rock of Ages. <laughs> 